Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Well, hello, everyone. It's Christine Marie Mason, your host for the Rose Woman podcast. So let's imagine you have a five-year-old daughter and you're sitting there during story time and you pick up this little cartoon book and you start reading to her. And the book is the story of my little Yoni, the vulva superhero. And it says things like, babies come out of Yonis. Yoni is an ancient word for womb and vulva, meaning sacred gateway. Sadly, there's still a lot of shame surrounding Yonis. Many people don't know how to talk about yonis or the miracle of making and birthing life. What is shame? Shame is a feeling of humiliation or distress. It's usually caused by messages from others that tell us we are somehow bad or wrong. And even if the messages are not true, shame can stick around and turn into a monster, repeating mean, untrue things inside your head. And while shame can start out small, left unchecked, it can grow into bigger shame monsters and spread to others. And that's why I'm here to help you feel proud and stand up to shame. And then there's this sweet little Yoni character and it goes on. It's part of a 10 book series aimed at children who are three to eight years old uh, talking about their anatomy. There's one about girls anatomy and one about boys anatomy, how babies are made, all kinds of stuff. And it's part of Ariel St. White's mission, her sex education mission and attempt to really changed the transgenerational story about our bodies that so many people have inherited. So before we get into the interview with her, I'd like to talk a little bit about what it would be like, if you can imagine what it would be like to be growing up in a more progressive and consistent culture that teaches people that their bodies are healthy and whole. Uh, For example, in the Netherlands, where the Dutch sex education curriculum takes a totally different approach and teaches children from as young as four that sex is about relationships with both themselves and other people. And they learn age-adjusted and age-appropriate information about their own bodies, uh, respecting their boundaries, other people's boundaries, and especially consent, uh, where you know, you're, you're making sure that other people are okay with you doing everything from hugging to touching to making advances on them. So the curriculum the Dutch use starts at age four, discussing feelings, discussing being a boy versus a girl. And then at age seven, they start with ideas like respect and attraction. And by eight or nine, same-sex attractions are discussed. And by 10 and 11, they start talking about puberty and love and dating and media And then they get into a long-live love curriculum, which gives teenagers the skills to make their own decisions and focuses not only on the biological aspects of reproduction, as it usually is in America, but also values and attitudes and communication and negotiation skills so that the entire Dutch community could have the same baseline for how to talk about these more sensitive subjects. So could you imagine if we had that kind of a curriculum in looking at their own bodies uh, without having taboos or shame. I want you to sit with that as we listen 
to the story of my little Yoni and the Yoniverse. This piece, which is the interruption of the transgenerational, multi-century shaming of women's bodies that little girls are taught. And I love the way that you've approached it here with this project, My Little Yoni, through playfulness. I like this little stuffed animal characters and these board books. So can you talk about the, what do you call it, a doll, a puppet, a keychain? What do you call it? The all, character. All things. The all character, right. She's a vulva superhero. That's right. Okay. Talk, talk about the design of that and how that came up. Yeah. So this was My Little Yoni. The name came to me first, and I just... You know, it, it amused me. I thought it was a great name. Um, and a couple weeks after the name came to me, I had a dream. And I was in, if, if the universe is a dimension, I was there in full Technicolor. Uh, and, and it was pretty wild. <laughs> and my little Yoni, the characters uh, were flying all around me. And I just, I'm an artist and I love the design so much. And I decided to, rather than to leave that in the dream time, I, you know, made it a real thing. So I had the template of the design. And then when I thought about where to get the original dolls, because there's, as you described them as a stuffed animal, they're kind of stuffed animal size, um, handmade, I call them art dolls, because they're very artistic and cool. That was the first thing I ever made um, related to My Little Yoni. And I got them made in Bali, and um, that that was kind of the 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 end of that was the com- entirety of the inspiration was here's the design, here's the name, my little yoni, and uh, get this made in Bali. And I reached out to some friends who are clothing designers and work with craftspeople in Bali. And uh, it just wasn't, I, you know, I was trying to line things up before getting there because traveling around the whole world, you know, it's nice to, you, you manufacture products, you know, um, how involved it is. And nothing was coming back. And I just had the intuition um, to wait until I got there. And that took a leap of faith and trust. Basically, the message I got was, you can keep trying to line this up. But it, you're not going to come up with anything. You're going to waste a lot of time and energy. Just get yourself to Bali and trust the process. And so I did. I showed up and um, my friend Cecily picked me up. And the next day we went to lunch with a friend of hers. And I told her about the project. And she said, you know, I might have someone for you. So within 48 hours of being in Bali, I was there in front of Made, who, I mean, I consider her my Balinese family to this day. And she took the project on. Now, the thing that was interesting, um, she had two weeks to come up with the first prototype. And then I went over to Malaysia for Mind Valley. If you're familiar with Mind Valley, I was uh, speaking for an event of theirs. And when I came back, Made said, listen, I took it to my pattern maker and he said it's too complex. I'm not going to do it. But I believe in this project. And so I tried and she tried and tried until she herself had the initial pattern. And then we went back and forth and and, um, and perfected yeah. it. But the reason why it was so complex is prior to My Little Yoni, My Little Yoni is the first stuffed animal to ever be made in Bali. Hmm. 
um, because they the ki- kids traditionally will play with carved wood hmm. toys. So three I mean, dimensional. It's such, a, it's such a, a, a moist climate. I mean, it doesn't lend itself tremendously well to uh, soft toys. So I imagine that's part of it. But also, so you're like opening up a whole new industry opportunity of stuffed things. So yeah. what happened then? What happened next? What happened next? Um, I mean, it was just really interesting to bring the original batch. I think it was 70, you know, my little Yoni's uh, back with me. And it was just, it's like this uh, continue. It still happens to today. It's um, my little Yoni as a character and as an object and as a entity is actually new. And when people interact with it, there's, um, you know, there can be this moment of surprise and then joy. And um, I know people are just listening, but if you check out, um, maybe there's a picture on this, or if you go to myloyoni.com, you'll see it. It's a, it, it is edifying the symbol of the vulva and putting it front and center. And then there's an eyes and a mouth around it. So the, the, the vulva is the nose of the character. And it's and it's fluffy and engorged. I bet you've talked about engorgement before. It's like a happy, full uh, yoni or vulva right there. And in our culture, as you you mentioned, the shame piece. Um, you know, like that th- that is not a thing. We we don't have the vulva out front and center. And the only place we do generally is in pornography, and that's not yeah. usually female gaze and this isn't meant to be a diss on porn but the point is my little yoni as a symbol is reclaiming the vulva reclaiming the yoni and saying hey this is i mean very intentionally using the word yoni which means sacred gateway this is sacred source and doorway to life that's something we all have in common and also, it's not intrinsically sexual. This character is cute. It's child and family appropriate. You know, we have moms from all different backgrounds that love My Little Yoni because it's she becomes a conversation starter to take a topic that has been shrouded in so many generations of shame and confusion and silence and awkwardness and to say, hey, this can be fun. This can be playful. Um, it can be... Uh, creative, artistic, and doesn't have to be such a big deal. Um, it, yeah, it's just been, it's been quite a ride seeing how she does her work. So, so you move from this charming character, which lets people like imagine their entire body, particularly the shame part, so sort of magical and normalized. And then when did the books come out, the, the Yoni Magic book series? Yeah, the books came quite a while after. So I had the character, um, the dolls would come out. I work on set on photo uh, photo shoots a lot. The, the doll would come out there. The doll would come out when I was still doing uh, women's retreats. Um, but it was very organic. And then it was, honestly, it was during the Trump presidency when I just saw, you know, just a lot of in- Intensity when it came to um, the real problems we have around sexual violence and what it means to be in female bodies and all that coming to a head and not always agreeing with how the conversation mm. was happening in the culture. I just 
saw that my little yoni, I needed to put a little more um, fuel behind it. So I did. Yeah, sort of like substance meat behind it in a way. Yeah. I mean, and the, the first two, the first two are more like straight up anatomy education for boys and girls, which I thought that was a very good choice also because you're, that's one of my hopes for the future is that, you know, girls will understand boys' bodies and boys will understand girls and it won't, won't be a mystery. So you got the first two on anatomy, but then the next one was on consent. So this seems to tie into what you're saying about like how the conversation around consent and was happening in the culture. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I, I would say starting around 2019, there was a lot of um, a lot of testing content, a lot of conversations, and we just kept coming back to moms and kids. Mm-hmm. So I started working on the book series in 2020, and then uh, finished it and published the ten books in 2021. Mm-hmm. So um, they haven't even been around that long, but we're on to our second edition. And like you said, yeah, the third book is all about consent and. The thing is, consent education starts, I mean, it starts at at the same time kids are learning about everything else, like very early childhood. I would say that is when it comes to sex education, that's something we don't generally understand in the U.S. is that it doesn't start when kids are going through puberty. It starts in early, early childhood and beginning with accurate anatomy And then from there, you know, people, sometimes there's concern, how can you talk to a five-year-old about consent? It's like, well, children already have agency. It's every time they are hugging someone or when they're asking their friends if they want to do something. So there's different real life examples that can help them learn about consent that aren't sexual in nature yet. Right. So it's a lot to have. Also, there's a, there's a piece um, I just was speaking with a woman about Ray Castellino's work on harmonic family systems. And one of the principles of family systems that govern themselves well is mutuality, where the child's needs and the parent's needs matter equally. So you see a lot of families where the parents get what they need and the children's needs are deprecated or, or there's total devotion to the children and the parents deplete themselves. So in this mutuality, there's also an inherent respect that the child's preferences matter. And there's a woman who wrote a book in India. um, It's called Chup. And anytime a girl expressed a preference, she was like silenced like that. And for I know it's it's a podcast, so what I'm doing is like making a little alligator snappy thing with my hand. It's it's a gesture and a noise to silence a, a daughter. And that she said that that the only way that someone who's coming of age can express their preferences, needs, and desires as if they've learned how to do that and been received in their needs and desires when they were young. So totally with you. Yeah. And, and also right um, in that same, because our, our books are bracketed by suggested age, which really the intention of the book series, though, is to also um, equip parents and help conversations happen directly inside the home because the, the whole piece of outsourcing to schools. I mean, the state of sex ed in the U.S. is pretty abysmal. It's happening too little, too late. And so for us, it's trying to make it easier for parents to initiate conversations directly inside the home and Mm -hmm. to also reframe that it's not one talk with a capital T. Sit them down and have the talk. It's No, it's a series of conversations that ideally start quite young and continue as kids naturally 
develop. And if these conversations start early and often, um, it becomes more comfortable. It is, it establishes you as a trusted adult, which is what we want. We don't, you know, we want kids ideally going to trusted adults in their life, not the internet. And it just becomes more comfortable. But, but alongside of that, because I have parents say, oh my gosh, but my kids are already 13. I missed the boat. And we would say, no, it's never too early to start the conversations. And it's also never too late. And it's not any women in our community now who are in their 40s and 50s and they're still learning about the the phases of their period, stuff they never learned before, you know? So I love that. I love that you're age age appropriate and you're also layering in that it's an ongoing conversation that has so much richness and subtlety and different appropriate flavors at different ages that you might talk a little bit about a period at eight and then you might talk about it again at 10 or 12 or 16 or 30. And it'll have different information that, that hits you in the way you need it to hit you. Totally. And kids are naturally curious. So a lot of it is just learning to, um, to meet a child's curiosity with honesty. And then also knowing you don't have to have all the answers. Because if we didn't receive much of an education, it's okay to say, hey, let's, let's look at this book together. Or check out this book, and if it, it raises more questions, come back to me. Or, I don't know, let me look into that. I'm going to get back to you. I think sometimes as parents, we think we need to know it all, and we don't. Well, I, I remember, like, every, every time my, my kids would come up with questions, and I'd be like, I have no idea. Let's go look that up together. In the series, in the series, there's the basics, um, the consent piece, and Beyond the Birds and the Bees, which is about sex and periods and love that. And then you have some unusual ones for children. You have the you have masturbation, gender continuum, LBGTQ, and you have some stuff around the difference between gender and assigned sex, gender identity and assigned sex. So that's pretty controversial right now in certain parts of America. Yeah, and um, we thought it was important to have that as its own title. And it's it's interesting. There's kind of no seems like there's no happy middle ground. Um, because we've had people, uh, for us, it was it was actually a real deliberate choice to keep the word yoni in the um, in the title. A new baby is coming. You know, we got some feedback from uh, members of the LGBTQ community. Which, by the way, I am a member of the LGBTQ community. I present as just a straight cis white woman. But I've always been queer and proud. And I mean, it's just, I guess I'm lucky. It's always been kind of a comfortable aspect of my own personal identity. But all that being said, we got some feedback with the A New Baby is Coming, which talks a lot about pregnancy and also emotionally preparing a child to become an older sibling. And we got some feedback that it wasn't inclusive to be using the word mother in a book about pregnancy. And I sat with that. And then I sat with it. And then I made the decision. And as the author, it was my decision to make that for me, you know, it's not our intention to exclude anyone, but I think it's really, I think motherhood's really beautiful. And I feel really good about, you know, keeping the term mother, the concept of motherhood in this book about pregnancy. But it was just, it was a very interesting thing to um, consider all of that. So, I mean, I know there's a lot of different opinions, but for us, 
we, we do believe in being inclusive and, and we also are a female forward brand with a vulva superhero at the center right. of what we're doing. And for us, that's not anti anyone. You know, we think the vulva is beautiful, regardless of how you may identify. I mean, we still think there's a lot of work to be done around um, empowering messaging and, and reclaiming the vulva and putting it out there as a not only proud symbol, but just honoring the vulva, honoring the womb, honoring mothers as the source of life. And then we also support everyone having the conversations they need to have. But that's where we stand. And also, there might be another layer of differentiation. If you start getting into that, like the the sexual, the gender identity, sexual preference, and the ability to carry and nurture a life, those might all be different tiers of, identi- of identity. Exactly. Know that, you know, like the month, I, I haven't actually heard that, but there's confusion around like, like, mother and yoni and and gender identity that's news to me but i i love this idea that the baby is a collaboration between the mother the father and the mystery you know that in order to make it it's motherhood is beautiful fatherhood is beautiful parenthood is beautiful and so the ensoulment you know and whatever whatever magic is happening there and that that's a place of stepping back and being like sweet and humble about this life that's being created and describing it as best you can. It's lovely. So yeah. how did it go from being the books to now? It looks like you have a foundation to um, give what you're calling free, accurate sex education to broader groups of people. Is that by distributing the books or are there other kinds of programs in place? What you, What's up with that? Yeah, so we do book giveaways so we've partnered with different organizations we've done pop-up book giveaways or in the in the case of period.org we would ship the period titles to them and they can distribute Mm. how they see um, best but our focus has been through the books you know we've been invited to create some early online sex ed programs and it's just more a matter of scheduling that out and doing Mm. that because I work full-time as an artist as well. So, you know, my little Yoni is, she has a life force and a life of her own, and it's also very much a labor of love. Who's running it? Who's running it every day if you're making art? I mean, I run it, and then I have a small team, and they're awesome. Okay. Yeah, and we're, you know, and and, it, and it's um amazing thing to recognize that some projects are about scaling massively and fast and taking to the stratosphere and some it's it's really beautiful to do to make a difference in your own backyard or community i think sometimes i do come from startup culture a bit um and and consulting in silicon valley for a number of years um and i think for a while i was very much this sounds like really aggressive language but infected with the startup culture ideology of everything has to scale and be big. And my little Yoni has taught me a lot um, around just humility and knowing that reaching, reaching hundreds of families a year is very meaningful. Reaching thousands is meaningful. So that's, that's what I've come to is just letting this work do its good work. And, um, letting it simmer versus it having to be an explosion. 
That's pretty radical to um, take out the capitalist mandate for growth from yourself. You know, that, that was hard for me at Rosebud too. Like the first few years, it was all like grow, 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 Dublin sales, Dublin sales. And then I was like, every time I think about having to take on external capital, I get like nervous that mm-hmm. then they're going to want to change the mission or that I, my life would be subject to the objective of the investors and not to what we're here to do. And it wouldn't give us the flexibility to be in response to what's happening in the world. It's, I wouldn't be able to say the more, the more, um, controversial things, you know, for fear of offending people. And so I think, I think that's been one of the big learnings for me also. It's like grow at the pace that you can fund it yourself and maintain the brand's mission and intent. Well, what, well done. Speaking of sovereignty. <laughs> yeah. Try. Well done. Maybe. Um, yeah. Try. My daughter took over in, in January. So, um, she's killing it and she has, her own visions. We'll see what happens. I'll follow. I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> I love that. And also like, I just had this vision of like every suburban town in America has like the, the Yoni lady who has, who's like wearing one of your little keychains, but they're like badges. And it's like, ask me anything. I'm the Yoni lady. And she's like at the coffee shop. She's on the playground, you know, like actually a whole sort of joyful, happy uh, Yoni core. That is, you know, universe ambassadresses. I don't know, something like that. Uh, yes. that. It would be really nice to have interpreters out there. 100%. And I would say, you know, a lot of the um, projects or initiatives that, that I get most excited about, it, it happens on an invitation basis, you know, mm-hmm. like so mm-hmm. the pop ups, uh, you know, an incredible organization will reach out to us and we'll show up and meet that. Or um, so, I mean, Milo Yoni, I've known from day one, but I've I've reached a point. L- let's see. So for, for a long time, I felt like the mother. And that's really, you know, that comes with its own host of responsibilities and just relating to it. And now I feel a little bit like the grandmother of my little Yoni. So it's like she's like grown and in the world, but also belongs to more than me, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, belongs to the community in a lot of ways. It's larger than me. Um, mm-hmm. We just had a, a donor a month ago say, hey, I really want your series translated into Spanish. Can I make a donation to make that happen? And we'll say yes to that. But it's not us d- deciding, oh, we have to do that. I think at this point, it's for the community to speak out and to um, galvanize around where where she's going to serve most. So yes to the Yoni ladies. I'm a two thumbs up. <laughs> we will, we will meet them. Thank you for the work you're doing. Um, if you have, do you have any wishes or things you'd like to share about where this goes or where their projects go? Yeah. I mean, I do yeah. see with, with Yoni, there's, there's, um, you know, there's, the, the focus we've had on early sex education, on making conversations easier for parents to have directly with their kids. And that's all beautiful and exists. That body of work exists. And I do have a dream, though, of, you know, a massive 50-foot Milo Yoni mural, like art installation style. So, I mean, because the character itself, I mean, even for adults, you know, it's like even though we've been focusing on the early sex education 
it's such a cool symbol that just does some disruption when you see it. So the idea of her being loud and proud and represented um, and kind of the Where do you pop want this mural? Where do you want this mural? Since I'm, I, I mean, the first place that comes to mind is Miami. I'm based there and it's such an art town. So just having my little Yoni taking up some real estate and, 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 and also the vibe and art in Miami is quite joyous. This is just taking it in a new direction. Is this something that you would be able to execute as an artist or would you need a muralist? Um, it would be a collaboration, but yeah, I, but yeah, we could definitely do it. I, I mean, I'm going to hold for you that for Art Basel this year, that there's a My Little Yoni mural up there um, in that park, you know, the park where everybody goes, where they have the off Art Basel. What's that park called? I'm Yes, I do know but exactly what you mean. It gets a ton Everybody of traffic. It's, mm-hmm. it's a ton of foot traffic. It's very vibrant, a lot of interactivity. People stay late um, or something like that where it gets visibility and also gets coverage because you have all the press down there at once. Um, cool. Well, thank you. Um, do you have any questions for me? The, the the quote the anise ning quote like being bundled in a ro- in a bud became too p- painful so I'm I'm butchering it but th- did that inform you in any way shape or form or I'm curious any inspiration yeah that's in the beginning of the invitation one of the little book we wrote we wrote a book targeted at adults as our brand manifesto it's like eighty little pages but basically saying look you know you've been contracted around this part of you for so long. And and I have a great teacher um, who talks about repressed energy, repressed like trauma and memory and anything you don't want to look at. Like he talks about your household, that the biggest appliance, the most energy consuming appliance is the refrigerator, the freezer. To keep things in deep freeze takes a lot of energy, you know? And so if you release something in your being um, that's been stuck, a, a trauma, a rep- uh, even the whole idea that this whole part of my body between the waist and, and the upper thighs is not to be looked at. Well, there's a huge amount of energy that opens up to create and to love and to relate to others. And so, yes, that was that quote informed some things. It, I don't know if it informed it as much as it expressed, you know, what we were already feeling. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. And what's and I guess the only other question would be what is on the horizon for you that's just for you, something that's just for you. Oh, oh! Now we're talking about sovereign pleasure stuff, like my <laughs> no. <laughs> mm. I am actually tonight going to a three-day breathwork thing that starts tonight, and it's just for me to kind of get some trapped relationship stuff like out of my body because it's like stuck a little bit of resentment is stuck so i'm going to breathe i'm going for intense breathing as my just for me pleasure i do i do justify it by saying that if i release that it's going to be good for everybody else (laughs) i'm still doing that transactional pleasure thing yeah it's a lifelong practice for sure yeah for sure that and then also you might be able to see behind me that i live in the redwoods when I walk out that door, there's a big soaking tub right in the middle of a fairy ring. And I planned to, planned to take full advantage of that today. 
So those two things. Oh. And you're doing My Little Yoni, but you're also doing this Love Saints project. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So Love Saints is a collaboration with me and my husband and me with my background and relationship and sensuality and him as just a visionary, globally renowned uh, photographer. And together, we will translate love stories into the visual medium. And we make these large-scale mixed-media artworks. And oftentimes, it's representing a couple's love story and kind of imprinting their flavor of eros into the visual medium. And then sometimes we'll, um, it's often the woman, but sometimes we'll translate just the energy of, we'll say, the muse or the woman into the visual medium. And it's just beautiful work. And we think symbols can teach us more often than, um, than the words around them. So we love making art that is telling a new story around Eros and the erotic. Well, moms and dads, there are a lot of things that are going on in the world that we can't do. We can't stop nuclear proliferation overnight and... It sure is proving hard to address gun violence in our nation. But this is one thing that you can do. You can stop the transgenerational suffering that comes from not being sure of the validity, worth, beauty, perfection of your own body, particularly your sexuality. You can stop the suffering that goes on from people not being able to identify and claim their desires and protect themselves against others who have a different view of them as not a relational being, but an object or something to be taken advantage of for their own pleasure. We can start teaching our kids this stuff really early. That you can do. It is something you can do. So go on out and check out the books at mylittleyoni.com and maybe get them for little ones in your life and look at sex education opportunities to be able to distribute these materials into more places and have those conversations. I read a really good article in the New York Times, which I'll also link to, which gives some pretty simple guidelines for uh, things to do and to not do. One is uh, to use words that are not about dirty, basically not implying that the body is disgusting. So teaching body positivity, it says, means letting babies and toddlers freely explore their own bodies. Don't make grossed out faces or use grossed out language. Try calling a diaper full instead of dirty when you teach hygiene. And talk about reproductive body parts cheerfully with correct language and affirming tones. The article goes on to say it means helping children discover what they like and don't like. Is tickling on the arms okay, but not the feet? At bedtime, does the sleepy preschooler like her back rubbed, scratched, or traced over? Does the toddler want to be picked up by grandpa but not auntie? We can help children to recognize the gut feelings that reveal our individual boundaries. And of course, going on around shame and consent and other things like that. So what do you say? Can we do it? Can we normalize the dialogue and begin to reduce the taboos that go between generations about knowing our body and loving our pleasure? It's a big part of intimate wellness and sexual wellness. And of course, later on, happy relationships of all kinds. So if you're enjoying the show, please give it a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe if you can. Same on Spotify, subscribe or wherever you're listening to things. And if you like this particular episode, go ahead and send it to someone who would appreciate it. Thank you so much. And we will close with this poem by Adrian Rich. The Floating Poem Unnumbered by Adrian Rich Whatever happens with us, your body will haunt mine. 
tender, delicate your lovemaking like the half-curled frond of the fiddlehead fern in forests just washed by sun. Your traveled generous thighs between which my whole face has come and come, the innocence and wisdom of the place my tongue has found there, the live insatiate dance of your nipples in my mouth, your touch on me firm, protective, searching me out, your strong tongue and slender fingers reaching where I had been waiting for you in my rose-wet cave. Whatever happens, this is 